Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. marriage hour today on trending what's happening in your marriage i'm joined by licensed marriage and family therapist doug hinder today you need a catholic take on what's going on from a marriage and family therapist who's catholic our toll-free line is 888-914-9149 and it's sponsored by catholic order of foresters life insurance today we'll dive into the topic of sacrificial love also known in the greek as agape love that love that god has that we're reaching for, or at least I hope we're reaching for and striving for, yet can be so complicated. If you have a question today, again, that number is 888-914-9149. Happy to take those questions online as well. Don't hesitate to reach out. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, and ask that question, that question box on Instagram that I know my producer is setting up right now. If it's not already up, we'll get that up on Instagram as well. But you can ask it on Twitter, Facebook, you name it. But that number, 888-914-9149 is there. You sure, I'm sure you know, Riley Gaines. Riley Gaines recently testified before a committee, before the House of Representatives, on the topic of women in sports. You should know her as she was de-platformed, I guess you could say, and set off to the side being a bit beaten out by Will Thomas for competing as a female athlete, as a swimmer. She testified this week before a House committee and let's just say she knocked the socks out off of some people who strongly disagree with her as they call her transphobic. She came back and said, well, that must be misogynist and you must be a misogynist if you're calling me transphobic when men are literally pushing women to the side in their own sports category. So we'll come back on that in just a little bit because I think it's a, a great way to address this issue specifically. You know, Maybe you're a little more neutral on the topic of gender. You don't necessarily fully subscribe to what the church teaches, but you do believe in protecting women's sports and protecting female-only spaces. So let's talk about that today on Trending. Also, it's Christmas in just a couple weeks, and leading up to Christmas, a great Advent tradition in the history of the church has been a Christmas novena. So I'll share with you a little bit about the Christmas novena and how you can get involved in praying that. Stay with me as we continue our series on hope this week in this first week of Advent. Joining me now is licensed marriage and family therapist, Doug Hinder. Doug, welcome back to Trending. Good to be with you, Timory. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm looking at this topic of agape love and 
how important it is that we have this balance, especially within marriage, between a good, healthy, passionate love. As we talked about last week, you gave 13 great tips for sprucing up uh, people's sex lives and improving because we believe that sex is meant for marriage and it's a great topic that needs to be addressed further. The next step in this series that we've been doing with you, Doug, is to enter into that sacrificial love that God's calling each and every single one of us to, yet it can be so difficult with in a marriage. Can you give us some guidance on growing in that marital relationship and the love that we show one another? Yeah. And it, yeah, right. And I, you know, we, we, a little review on the four loves, right? The first love is the love of friendship. And the, the second love is the love of kindness. Then we get to the love that's specific for husband and a wife, the, the Eros love, the, the physical union. And then the most difficult of all the loves, which is uh, agape, which is this totally sacrificial love um, this unconditional love. And this is the love that you pledge on your wedding day. You know, when you say in good times and bad, uh, sickness and health, et cetera, that's, I'm going to love you regardless of anything. There, there's nothing you can do now that will cause me to stop loving you. And that's a pretty hard thing to do. And, but this is, you know, Jesus was our role model for what agape love looks like. This is what we aspire to. But as human beings, we tend to be a little more, you know, conditional in our love, right? I, I love you when you're nice to me. I love you when you're pleasant and friendly and when you're happy. But man, if you're cranky or, you know, you're, you know, whatever, you got your defects, I may not love you quite as much. So this is a, an aspirational love. Uh, and it's a very giving love. Pope Benedict wrote about this love as well. And so this is a giving love because I now put your happiness ahead of my own. The, the we now takes priority over the me, and I am going to put you ahead of myself. I will sacrifice myself. I now live to bring joy and happiness into your life. That's agape love. Mm. And isn't that cute? Bringing joy and happiness into the other person's life. We go from an appreciative taking, I guess we could say, to a grateful position of helping to build, encourage, and grow the other person in love because that's what love is. Love is an action. And I find so often we don't talk about love as an action, as a verb in our culture today. Yeah. Right, right, that's right, and and love, yeah, love is is many faceted, but but agape love is a is 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 a doing love. It's a behavioral love, um, and it's you know it's this idea that um, I'm willing to die for you. I will die for you if that's what is called for. Now, in our day and age, in our society, not likely that we will be asked to die for our spouse, but Maybe there's a part of us that should die, perhaps our pride or our critical spirit uh, or our temper or our selfishness. So there are parts of us that we should radically try to transform, uh, that we should die to in order to be the giving kind of spouse that God calls us to be. Mm. And when you mention these different bad habits that we can have, you mentioned pride, you mentioned critical mm-hmm. spirit. Uh, what are 
What are maybe just some concrete, simple things that you recommend for behavior modification? I remember when I was a teenager, my mom would talk a lot about behavior modification, the simple thing of just biting your tongue, for example, or if Mm -hmm. you do X, maybe you have a couple types of penances you do. What do you recommend to couples in working on this? Yeah, and I think, you know, this is the area where you could um, think about the predominant defect, right, that some of the spiritual fathers have written about. We, we have a predominant defect. Um, yeah, you, know, you look at the seven deadly sins, we have one of those that tends to trip us up more than the others. And we can look at that. And if we're not sure what our predominant defect is, just ask your spouse. And your spouse will be able to tell you very quickly what it is that you do that makes them a little crazy. And so I think, you know, ask your spouse, hey, what, you know, what's one thing that I do that you would like me to stop doing? Or what's one thing I do that really makes you feel well-loved that you would like me to do more of? So I think those are two really powerful questions uh, to ask. What, what's one thing I should stop doing? And what's one thing I should do more of? And then set about trying to do that, right? And if you're trying to root out a defect, right? Well, there's two ways to do it. A, when I'm tempted when I get angry and I'm tempted to say something harshly, I stop that, right? I become aware of that. I set that up in my morning offering. It's part of my nightly examination of conscience. Did I say anything harsh or cruel to my spouse today? And if so, then I, I get more aware of it. It becomes top of mind. And then when I feel like saying something harsh, I don't do it. And maybe I replace it with a compliment or I just take a deep breath, as you say, count to 10, right? Um, and so, Part of it is to stop doing something negative, but then to replace it with its opposite, right? So if I tend to have a critical spirit, I need to start spending more time giving compliments and affirming and praising people. So I stop the bad behavior and I increase the contrary virtue to this thing that I'm doing that's actually causing some harm or some discomfort to my spouse. I love these key steps. First, if you don't know what it is you need to work on, stop, ask your spouse what you need to work on, giving more of and doing less of, set it in your morning offering intention, include it in your nightly examination of conscience. I'm a huge advocate. If you're not already doing those cornerstones, setting up your day with prayer and ending your day in prayer and in gratitude and also acknowledging those areas that need to be spruced up, need to be worked on, that you outright sinned in that day. Please do incorporate that because that's what helps in growing in your marriage. And you mentioned working on increasing in the opposite virtue of what you were struggling with. So filling the void. I think this is all fantastic with helping to love sacrificially while recognizing there are some little things going along the way that I really do need to work on. Now, when we talk about sacrificial love, I love it when you said, I was reading some of the notes we were talking about earlier and how marriage is sacrificial and you have to subordinate the me for a we and how when we enter into marriage, essentially, it's no longer me, myself, and I, but it's two of us. And that's part of what is so profound about the imagery that we have from the dawn of creation in Genesis chapters one and two. We see this example of the first marital union between Adam and Eve. And we read, God says, the two shall become one flesh. And that doesn't simply refer to carnal pleasure or the gift of new life, but it refers to how we view ourselves and one another as well and how we interact interpersonally, how we think about things and each other and interact in our day-to-day lives. Yeah, exactly right. And and it's this matter of whatever I'm thinking about doing, 
my second thought needs to be, how is this going to affect my spouse? Right? So I'm, I'm thinking about going out for a walk. Great. How will that affect my spouse if I just walk out the door and go for a walk? I, I, what should I do? What does she need me to do? Well, at, at a minimum, she would need me to say, hey, honey, I'm going out for a walk. Uh, and I'll be back in half an hour and give her a kiss goodbye at a minimum. Or maybe she would like it if I asked her to go with me and we did it together, right? So I no longer live and behave in a vacuum. I now have to live, behave, think as someone who is attached to another person who needs to take that person's emotions uh, into account on literally everything that I do. I need to think about what would be good for them or what might harm them based on what I'm thinking about doing. Yes, I, I love that. Really changing that perspective that is so key within marriage. I remember when I was getting married, Doug, if you're just joining me, that's Doug Hinder. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist. If you have a question, we have questions coming in, be sure to call in now or ask it now on social media. You can follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E to ask that question or the number is 888-914-9149. We've also tugged tagged Doug on social media as well. But I remember when I was getting married and I was engaged, I was talking to a priest friend of mine and he said, beware when you get married, it's very common that the husband enters into the marriage thinking that he's just going to continue on doing life. The things that you've done separately, you'll always do separately. And the wife tends to think that Everything we do together, we now do together. Everything I do, you do. And so there's just a complete different mindset. Again, one of those many male-female differences generally that occur entering into marriage. And it comes back to this idea that you have two individual people that are so important still in their thoughts, their loves, their desires, their interests, but the life has now collided. And isn't that the challenge of discovering how that collision is meant to be a good collision that is meant to be one that is unitive in every interaction in life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. And that is one of the struggles generally in the first year of life is how do we now coordinate what we're doing? How do we do things together? And, you know, one of the things I found is um, couples who get married later, you know, in their thirties or maybe 40, they spent a lot of years doing things their own way, coming and going as they mm -hmm. please, when they please, not being answerable to anybody. Now, all of a sudden, they're married, and it's a big adjustment to have to take someone else into consideration where I'm used to in the past mm -hmm. just getting in my car and driving to the store. I didn't mm -hmm. have to say goodbye to anybody or tell them what I'm doing. Now, I have to. So, a big adjustment for couples who get married later, uh, couples who get married much younger, you know, right out of college or whatever, generally, the adjustment is an easier one. But it's still an adjustment for everybody, to be sure. So I actually recommend if someone is single, they're not married, or even if they're dating, make sure you're not really living alone because it's good to have people mm. who make you uncomfortable. Uh, those simple things that people struggle over, temperature, windows, who does and doesn't unload the dishwasher, how it's done, like yeah. those really simple things that are everyday inconveniences that can be everyday means and opportunities to get over me, myself, and I. Oh, top. Yeah. Talk to me, Doug, yeah. about unconditional love. Why is unconditional love so fundamental to the marriage relationship? So that's the love that Jesus has for us, that God has for us, seen very clearly, of course, in the Old Testament, right? This is that covenantal love where God says, you will be my people and I will be your God. And time after time after time, the chosen people turned and left God and they worshiped false gods. 
And time after time, God brought them back. Come back, come back. I am your God. I can't stop being your God. And in marriage, I can't stop being your husband. And I was reading a book a while back, and the guy who wrote it was a Greek scholar. And he said, you know, that part in the gospel where our Lord says, for that reason, a man leaves his mother and father and clings to or cleaves to his wife and the two become one. The original Greek word that here in this country we translate as cleave to or cling to actually means to be glued to. So it's not just I'm holding on to you, I'm attached. And if you've ever tried to pull something apart once it's glued together, you can't do it without causing serious damage. And same in marriage. Once a marriage is together, you're glued together. You can't pull that apart without doing serious damage to both the people involved uh, and children, et cetera. So, so this idea of we are together and we can't pull it apart. And so I have to love you unconditionally, knowing that you have defects and there are going to be times you're going to hurt me. You're going to do things that might make me sad or lonely. I'm still going to love you anyway. There is nothing you can do that will get me to stop loving you, period. I think the place we see it the most clearly with Jesus is at the Last Supper when he washes the feet of the 12 apostles. You can, you know, you could hear him saying to Peter, Peter, uh, you know, I'm going to wash your feet, but you know, in about three hours, you're going to curse and swear that you've never even met me. I'm still going to do this act of kindness to you because I love you. And Judas, you're going to go sell me for 30 pieces of silver. Mm. I still love you. I'm still going to do this kindness. And you other 10, pretty soon you're going to run as far away from me as you can get. I want you to have clean feet while you're running away from me because I still love you no matter that all of you are going to treat me really poorly here very soon. That is God's love for us, unconditional. We can't lose it. Even if we sin, we go away from him. His love for us stays the same, and he keeps wanting to call us back. That's what we aspire to in marriage. That's really hard because as human beings, we tend to be more conditional. But that's the goal is I'm going to love you no matter what. That's what I pledged on our wedding day. That's licensed marriage and family therapist, Doug Hinder. We're going to come back taking your questions. If you have a question, ask it now. It's your opportunity. What's going on in your family, in your marriage, parenting advice. Doug Hinder has been there in his own family, raising his own children with his own marriage. But he's also a Catholic who's also licensed marriage and family therapist. So this is keen Catholic and professional advice, free advice. The number is 888-914-9149. You can also ask your question on social media as well. Just follow me at Timmery to ask T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. We'll be right back here on Trending. season of Advent, preparing the way for Christ at Christmas. If you want to learn a little bit about the Christmas novena going on, it's not just nine days. There's more to it. It's the simplest of prayers that will help keep you focused on 
what this season of Advent is and maybe you have some key intentions that you have had on your heart and your family for you. Uh, you can pray those during this time leading up to Christmas, asking for those Christmas miracles. So stay with us as we dive into Advent in a few moments here. Now it's Marriage Hour with Doug Hinder. You can find him at happymarriageforlife.com. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist giving a keen Catholic take on your marriage, family, parenting questions. Would love to take any of those. If you have a question, here's the number. It's 888-914-9149. You can also ask your question now on social media. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You mentioned, Doug, a story or question came up on Instagram. The question is, you mentioned a critical spirit. What should I do to work on letting go of my constant criticism of my husband? I love my husband and he truly is a wonderful man. However, I have a terrible habit of criticism. It hurts him and it hurts my marriage. I need help. Yeah, really good point. And yes, criticism is a very hard thing for a man to take. Men are generally very... uh, triggered anytime they're made to feel like a failure. And when you criticize and point out your husband's defects, that really triggers this fear of failure. And he's going to start withdrawing from you because I, you're dangerous to be around now because every time I'm with you, I feel bad, not good, not happy. Um, and I think part of it is to sit down, make a list of all of your husband's virtues, all of your husband's qualities and Tell him, share those with him. Every day, share one or two things about him that you admire, that you like, that you've noticed that was good. So we crowd out the negative with an abundance of the good. That's the first thing I would say. Um, and the the second thing is this idea of your spouse's defects actually will help you grow in the virtue of patience. So when he does something you want to criticize, if you don't share that with him, you get an opportunity to grow the virtue of, of patience And that's a great gift. So his defects are actually great gifts to help you grow in holiness and in virtue. So look at them as gifts. And the other thing, the third thing is, I had a priest say this to me early in my marriage, first or second year. He said, Doug, if it's not a sin, give in. Most of the things we get upset about, they're not sins. And now it's a matter of personal preference or or whatever. So don't make a big deal about things. You can't compromise in the area of sin. But if it's not sin, you can compromise on everything and you can meet your spouse more than halfway. Mm, I love these. I love what you mentioned with regard to patience too, that when your spouse has a defect, instead of pointing it out, sharing, correcting, whatever it might be, that you take it as an opportunity for patience, for you to grow. Instead, it reminds me of my almost three-year-old. I keep reminding her, but you know, be patient. Hold on. Wait a minute. As there, she's terrorizing me persistently. And last night I was getting her ready for bed. And there are a couple really funny stories, but one of them was I'm trying to convince her to brush her teeth. She loved brushing her teeth and suddenly she hates it. And she looked at me and she grabbed her paint, her toothbrush and like leaned her head forward and going, mama, okay. Okay. Patience. This is a time for you to learn patience. Just wait. I've got it. I'll do it. I'm brushing my teeth. And then she just stands there. There, holding the toothbrush next to her mouth, staring at me, and it's a total stare down. And she goes, "Patience, okay, Mama. Patience, just wait." Oh, kids are just beautiful. Yeah, exactly right. But yeah, so defects are opportunities for us to grow in virtue. And I, you know, marriage is our path to heaven. Well, we're not going to get into heaven without some suffering. And let's take whatever suffering our spouse gives us, and let's turn it into an opportunity to grow in virtue. 
I love this. I love this. It's a really good, I think, inspiration for healing some of those more difficult moments in marriage and making opportunity to grow. More questions are coming in. Let's see. Kevin's on the line from Chicago, Illinois. Kevin, welcome to Trending. What is your question for Doug Hinder today? Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Timory, for taking my call. I've been married for, I was married for 38 years. Up to three years ago, I went through a divorce with my wife. Mm. I never wanted a divorce. She found another man and everybody says I should forget her and let her go. Uh, we have two adult children that live out of the country. And I just want to know, Doug, what do you think? Um, this is the only woman that I've been with all my life. I, you know, totally we were together 40 years. Is it wrong to still, like I just sent her a Christmas card. Am I being a doormat by talking to her occasionally and, and being cordial knowing that, this relationship yeah. is over. Yeah. I, I th no, I don't think you're being a doormat. I think, you know, it's a heartbreaking thing, right? For 38 years and for that to end, but obviously you still love her. Your love for her seems to be pretty unconditional, which means you still have an obligation. I think before our Lord to pray for your wife, to do what you can do to help her get into heaven. So pray for her for sure is one of the greatest acts of kindness that you can do for her. And you know what? I mean, our Lord commands us to love our enemies. Well, if we're supposed to love our enemies, how much more so the person that we were married to, even if that person has, you know, has turned their back on the marriage vows, has left us. Um, you still, I think there's great grace for you in loving her and in showing her kindness. So I, I say, stay the course. Sounds like what you're doing is pleasing to our Lord. And, and I think you're doing well. And Kevin, what a beautiful example of fidelity to your wife. And I'm so sorry for what you've experienced, but just as a woman, I hear what you're saying. And that's admirable that as the world is saying, and probably people you know and love, people who for years probably knew and loved her as well. And they're saying, just forget about her. Get over it. Go, go. People are probably saying, go date someone else. I've heard it. I've seen this before. And every time my heart breaks, because I admire that fidelity that you as a man are having toward the woman who, if you're married in the church and if you did not find that the church declared your marriage null, you may be divorced in terms of civil uh, courts, but you're not divorced in the eyes of the church. You're not divorced in the eyes of God. And so that fidelity, that, that candle you hold for her is a beautiful sign of your fidelity and your sacrificial love for her, even in the face of her flaws. And I think it is a sign of holding out for hope as well. And God knows that may be here on earth, but it, it's an incredible opportunity out of love for her uh, to engage in sacrifices for her. And I am a firm believer that some demons are only cast out with prayer and fasting. That's what Jesus Christ says when he comes down from Mount Tabor. And I am a firm believer in hope. And you know, we pray a lot for our loved ones, but sometimes we miss that sacrificial um, fasting side of it. And so I encourage you to engage in some fasting uh, for, for this woman who's your wife you love dearly. You're listening Amen. To I agree with that, man. Yeah. Thank you. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray here on Relevant Radio. That's licensed marriage and family therapist, Doug Hinder. More questions coming in. Let's see. Uh, Instagram. On Instagram, someone asked, how do you get over disappointment in your spouse? I don't want to stay married now. Mm. Yeah, that's tough. And I think, you know, when I do, when I work with engaged couples, a couple thinking about getting engaged, one thing I tell them is, listen, I, I, if, if I were in charge, when you after you get married and you, or before you get married and you sign, you know, the marriage certificate, you should have to sign another form that says, 
as is. You know how when you go to buy a used car, right, and it's got this as is sticker in it, it says you're buying it as it is. We make no warranty that this thing is perfect. Well, when you get married, you're marrying that person as is, and you need to love that person as they are. Now, maybe they'll change. They should try to get better each day. We all should, of course, but maybe they don't. And um, you've married them as is. And I think you've got to look at this thing, not just from the perspective of, oh, they're not making me happy or I'm frustrated or I'm disappointed, but but from a supernatural perspective, this marriage is your path to get into heaven. There's going to be suffering along the way in this marriage. Christ suffered for us. We're going to have to suffer. And there's this, I think there's this mindset in society that there's going to be suffering all over the place. My boss will be kind of a jerk sometimes, and I'll be suffering at the grocery store. I'll get sick. I'll suffer. But I shouldn't have to suffer in my marriage. Well, that's not realistic. We're all going to suffer because we've all married someone with some defects and our spouse's defects will bring suffering. So, but that doesn't mean you should, you, you should surrender to being an unhappy marriage, get some help, read some books, get to a good Catholic marriage counselor who can help you work through these issues and develop good skills for communicating about your disappointments and, and your ability to ask your husband to do some things differently is what I'd say. I love this. And Kelsey, one other thought I have, Derek, I was just thinking about this a lot lately. People always disappoint us in life. I think sometimes that's one of the most difficult things, especially when it comes to the people we love most, is when we're, we're disappointed. Something happens, whether it's a betrayal that occurred or just disappointment. I, I've used this more recently to think of Christ and how frequently I personally disappoint him. Mm, yeah. And how unconditionally he loves that uh, loves me still and how unworthy I am of that in the midst of my flaws and how he is just steadfast. He is there like a rock. He is so solid and confident and ongoing in his love for me that that, that gives me inspiration to push through in the face of being disappointed by others and even saying, you know what, this isn't that big of a deal. It's like popcorn. Just let, you know, let it fall over the shoulder. Not that you become a doormat, but that we're willing to forgive, let go and just see the power of that love that Christ has for us or that he's, or that we see evident in the love he has for others as inspiration in those moments of disappointment. Yeah. yeah I love it. I think that's absolutely right. And, and, but, but the other thing I'd say is don't, you know, don't give up on the marriage, get some help, get some counseling and work on, uh, on deepening the marriage. So there's great help out there, good resources out there. So don't give up. I love that. And isn't that the message that we need to hear? Don't give up. The world says something so different. Forget about the person you were married to. Yeah. Give up. Just get the divorce. That's the antithesis of what we're called to as Catholics. And I, I challenge you, if you have someone who's you're, you've come across and they're considering a divorce, they're struggling in marriage, make sure that you have a Catholic faith-filled response, that marriage is permanent, it's faithful, it's total, it's fruitful. And let that be the guidance of how you respond to what they might share rather than the ways of the world. Licensed marriage and family therapist here on Trending with me today. So many questions coming in. I want to take, let's see. Um, oh, that person just dropped. Um, let's see. Okay, moving over. As we're talking about disappointment in marriage, one of the things I hear sometimes like couples, newer couples struggling with is the lack of transparency when it comes to 
money and how when they get married, they, and I've heard this a lot from friends recently or just other people, they got married and they find out it's a totally different financial situation than they expected, usually on the part of the man. What do you recommend for guidance in handling situations like that? Whether it's something in a newer marriage or maybe years into marriage, it might be something you're still harboring resentment over. Yeah, money is one of the, it's the number one, number two thing that couples fight about. It's a pretty universal thing. Often the fights about money are not about the money. They're about what the money represents. Uh, And money can represent different things to different people. The one thing money represents is security and safety. So I have to have a certain amount of money in the bank or I can't sleep at night. And for me, money is safety. For someone else, money is how I enjoy life. And so I need to spend money to have fun and enjoy life. So for me, money represents fun, freedom, you know, vacations, et cetera. Uh, So you need to have a really serious conversation before you get married about money and what does it mean to me? Um, And when a spender marries a saver, you're going to, you're set up for a lot of conflict. So, and even if spenders marry spenders, we're going to have conflict over what we spend it on. And if savers marry savers, we'll have conflict too. So there's always conflict around marriage. You got to have a really good, honest conversation about that before marriage, especially if you're coming into the marriage with a lot of debt. Your future spouse has a right to know how much debt you're bringing into the marriage. Mm-hmm. These are great guide, guiding principles and things to help in healing some of those wounds that occur before and after marriage. I know more questions were coming in regarding just finding a therapist in different situations. We highly recommend two websites, catholictherapist.com. That's catholictherapist.com. Also, I prefer a little bit more, so that's catholicpsychotherapy.org. I'll post the link on social media, and you can even go in and search for a therapist, sometimes based on a specific type of issue as well that you might be struggling with. So Be sure to check those resources out. We're posting links to them on social media as well as in the episode notes. Joining me today was licensed marriage and family therapist, Doug Hinder. You can find him at happymarriageforlife.com. That's happymarriageforlife.com. Thank you so much for joining me today on Trending. I'll be right back to share a scathing testimony by Riley Gaines as she is challenged in a congressional hearing by one of the representatives who immediately starts accusing her of transphobia. And Riley Gaines holds her own and addresses the issue of gender in a way that truly does uphold the value of women, keeping women safe and staying to women-only spaces. Whatever you may think about gender, this is, I think, a key conversation to follow as it addresses the issue of women's sports and women's protection above all else. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel And ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. Okay, so this is the latest attempt of my almost three-year-old to negotiate with me. Lord have mercy. So suddenly she can't stand brushing her teeth. And finally, one of the few times this week where I'm not like forcing her on my own to brush her teeth, uh, she says, okay, I'll brush them for you, but I need you to be a good girl, okay? Not tell me what to do, and you have to lay with me when I go to bed tonight. And I just paused. 
I took a deep breath, closed my eyes, trying not to laugh and show it on my face. And I just wanted to hear it one more time because it was so funny. I said, okay, you're going to brush your teeth? She said, yes. I said, okay, but I need to be a good girl? She said, yes. And you need to not tell me what to do. And you have to lay with me tonight. I said, okay, I will tell you what to do, but I'll lay with you tonight too. The whole like, don't tell me what to do. That has been her thing. This week, she's refusing to say thank you refusing she knows how to say thank you she actually has quite impressive manners for a little almost three-year-old but this week like don't tell her to say thank you just a a bad stare down which is really sad because people have been giving her very sweet and generous saint nicholas day gifts and she's been a no thank you little beastie so lord have mercy parenting toddlers parenting toddlers it's fun but you're listening to trending with timory here on relevant radio i was so proud of riley Gaines this week if you don't know who riley Gaines is you should and i'm sure you actually do she's an ncaa champion female swimmer she's qualified twice for the olympics and she's the one who took second place and was cast off when athlete will thomas also known as leah thomas was allowed to compete against women over and over again taking their championships taking their place which she would have been uh first in that particular race uh, that i'm referring to now riley Gaines, after finishing college she has really launched off as a advocate for a woman. She holds to a strong pro-woman stance, and I just think that she's an incredible female advocate. Now, this week and in the weeks to come, there are hearings occurring because President Biden's administration has proposed a rule change to Title IX that historically, Title IX has uh, been there to protect women at the end of the day. And what's happening is The Biden administration under Biden is proposing a rule change to the definition that would basically change sexual discrimination to include gender identity. In other words, Title IX is completely, if this happens, being vetted. What was initially used to protect women will be used actually incorrectly so in a misogynistic way by people who want to identify as he, she, whatever they want to overrule and step all over female-only spaces, whether that be sports, whether that be bedrooms on night overnight trips, as we were discussing yesterday or a couple days ago here on the show. That's right. A little kid, an 11-year-old girl, was told that she had to sleep with a little boy. Uh, it's outrageous. And you can listen to the episode where I discuss that. That's a story that everyone needs to know about because all of this should be protected under Title IX. But Here's the deal. If this rule change to Title IX occurs, this would override state laws. It would override schools and colleges from preserving women's sports for women only. Now, we have currently, I believe it's 23 states that have passed a woman's fairness in sports a law and basically would lead to a requirement such as a birth certificate needing to be presented to affirm whether or not that person is biologically a male or a female to determine whether or not someone can actually participate in a sport. Now, people such as AOC completely lie and say, claim that there needs to be a genital exam 
exam in order for someone to compete on a sports team. That's atrocious. We're talking about birth certificates. Let's keep it simple here with basic legal documents that we have from the birth of a human being. And this is very silly that people are claiming that people need genital checks in order to engage in male or female only spaces. That's silly. It's awful language. But what I want to share with you about today is some of what's come out of these hearings. Now, Riley Gaines ended up testifying, giving her testimony before Representative Summer Lee. And Representative Summer Lee is actually a ranking member of the House Oversight Committee on Health. And this is where currently we're seeing this proposed rule change to Title IX where the hearings are. And what happens is before Riley Gaines even starts to speak, Representative Summer Lee starts to shut down what this wonderfully articulate woman has to say about the importance of female-only spaces. She's not even addressing gender and men and women and all of that. Listen to what is said in this House Oversight Committee on Health. It's disappointing to me that although the title of this hearing implies a much-needed discussion, we're likely going to be forced to listen to transphobic bigotry. Unsafe, unfair, and discriminatory practices towards women must stop. Inclusion cannot be prioritized over safety and fairness. And Ranking Member Lee, if my testimony makes me transphobic, then I believe your opening monologue makes you a misogynist. Thank you. I have, as the saying goes. Uh, Madam Chair, excuse me, I move to have uh, the gentlewoman's words taken down. Madam Chair, she's engaging in personalities. Can I just ask how it's fair to be called transphobic? There's a thing. I would say men disguising themselves as women are engaging in personalities. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Okay, I move to withdraw the point of order. This is fantastic. Did you just catch what happened? And I'm laughing because it's such a fantastic use of words. Representative Summerlee immediately comes up and says, like, oh, we're just going to hear some transphobic speech. We shouldn't even have to hear this. And immediately Riley Gaines steps forward and gives this incredible testimony talking about the importance of prioritizing safety and fairness over inclusion. And her remarks are very strong, very to the point. It really has nothing to do with any type of debate over maleness and femaleness, more so just focus on protecting female-only spaces. And what she throws out there is she said, if I'm being accused of being transphobic, well, put the pieces together. If a man is allowed to come in and beat out woman after woman for state championships, for scholarships, for even the potential of going to the Olympics, well, then If you're representing that, then you're a misogynist. I love that. She says, if that's the case, if you're calling me transphobic, then I believe your opening monologue makes you a misogynist. This is fantastic. This is a fantastic dialogue, truthful, open, and respectful. And it is respectful, even though it's this back and forth tug of war. And it's interesting because Representative Summer Lee cannot believe that she was just called a misogynist. And she tries to have the remarks that call her misogynist removed from the record. Why? Because they tell the truth. They tell the truth. And it's funny and somewhat silly, but I have been listening over and over again to the Beauty and Beast soundtrack and hearing the movie. My daughter loves Beauty and the Beast. It's her favorite. But I can't help but continuously think of 
that classic story we all know of Belle, Gaston, and the Beast. And Gaston in Beauty and the Beast is the misogynist. He is the oppressor. He talks about wanting to, quote, rule and marry Belle. And that's what he expects and believes a marriage is. A dictatorship. And what's sad is that whether people realize it or not, they love to point at men. Anything having to do with men in the culture, strong men, as misogynists. There is such a thing as a misogynist out here. Misogynists are men who force, oppress, and manipulate women. But it's not just men. It's anyone who believes it's okay for men to to oppress, force, and manipulate women. And that's what's happening with this forceful, very forceful idea that men are allowed to compete in women's sports. It's oppressive, it's forceful, and it's manipulative. Just think, for example, and I hope you'll go back and listen to the episode where I actually interviewed one of the teammates of Will Thomas, also known as Leah Thomas, because she shared how uncomfortable it was being in that locker room with him. In fact, if you listen to her testimony, it's very evident that she blocked out part of her experience of having a man in the room who was exposing himself. That's the bottom line. That's oppressive. That's forceful. That's manipulative. That is sexual abuse. And I thought we lived in a time in the culture where we had very little tolerance for sexual abuse in the workplace, but apparently not. When this is literally being institutionalized in our education systems, in female-only spaces that were supposed to be protected by Title IX, but instead, Title IX is being used and manipulated by the Biden administration to force, manipulate, control, and dominate women. And so Riley Gaines holds a very strong pro-woman stance. Her arguments usually have very little to do with actual gender debate, but everything to do with women and upholding women. And so this is a key debate that I think we need to continue to follow. There will be another testimony of Riley Gaines. I believe it's next week, next Tuesday, before one of the House committees, specifically on the attempt of the Biden administration to overrule Title IX and change it to basically allow men to do whatever they want in female-only spaces, whether it's compete against them or expose themselves in women's restrooms. And I'm sharing it that bluntly because this is what's happening. We're seeing it at the level of children, as I shared earlier this week. So please do continue to follow these stories. Have real clear conversations. I thought Riley Gaines' speech was fantastic. She said, if you're calling me a transphobic, then you're obviously, obviously misogynist because that's the truth. If you're saying that by me not wanting men to manipulate, abuse, and control women in this way, then you are actually allowing just that by having men come in here this way and you're the misogynist. That said, I want to talk a little bit about Christmas coming up in these weeks leading up to Christmas. We're in this Advent season and Something I've always wanted to do over the last four or five years, but I haven't started until this year, was the Christmas Novena. Now, you maybe heard of the Christmas Novena and maybe you think, oh, great, when do I start? It's not too late. You can start it. It's actually a novena that traditionally starts on November 30th and leads all the way up and is prayed all the way through until Christmas Eve. So as a tradition goes, it's actually referred to as the St. Andrew's Christmas Novena. Now, you can start it whenever it 
it doesn't matter if you don't pray. But I think this is a great way to actually prepare the way for the coming of Christ. The prayer is really simple. I posted it on my social media. Uh, Miranda put together, my producer, a beautiful post of the prayer. You can save the photo, just edit a little bit, and maybe even make it your background on your phone. I have the St. Andrew Christmas prayers background on my phone. Now, it's called the St. Andrew Christmas prayer because it begins on the feast day of St. Andrew, November 30th, which is generally around when-ish the the Advent season begins, but it actually has nothing to do with St. Andrew. It's all about praying to God and praying for basically a Christmas miracle. So here's a prayer. Hail and blessed be the hour and moment in which the Son of God was born, the most pure virgin at midnight, in Bethlehem, in the piercing cold. In that hour, I beseech thee, O my God, to hear my prayer and grant my desires through the merits of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and of his blessed mother. Amen. Now, this short prayer is meant to be prayed every day leading up to Christmas, up until Christmas Eve. And it's meant to be prayed actually 15 times a day. It's a really short prayer. You can pray your petitions asking for those Christmas miracles leading up to Christmas. But it's a neat way if you maybe didn't pick up a Advent devotional, you don't have a specific book, a way to be ushering in this season of Christmas, to be walking in this way of preparation, to transform your heart, soften your heart and mind, and be aware of this season of Advent, and to not jump too quickly into Christmas. I also love it because there are so many things and people and situations to pray for. And this is your opportunity to let go of those things that might worry you, people who may have concerns who you're worried about, and to give those prayers, give those people over to our Lord to work his miracles in their lives. I love the prayer where it talks about how at midnight in Bethlehem, in the piercing cold, the Christ child was born. I think that this novena is a reminder for us to hold on to hope. Hope is that theological virtue, which the Catechism of the Catholic Church says, we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life is our happiness. Let that be the focus of your prayer. Even in the midst of the sickness, the suffering, everything that goes on in the world, see Christ through that and that all the illness, all the suffering, all of it is meant to bring us into union with God, each in our own path, each in our own way, but holding on to hope that the end of that journey, we're united totally and completely to God in heaven. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Friday is the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception of Mary. It's a holy day of obligation, and better yet, it's a great day to go to Mass. What is the Immaculate Conception? I'll dive into that Friday on Trending. I'll also dive into this incredible teaching on Our Lady and how transformative and prophetic it is for the culture we face today. Join me daily, 6 p.m. Central, on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.